0: Hi, it's Rachel Martin with NPR News. And you know what? We're doing something new. And we want you to be part of it. It's called Up First. It's the morning news podcast from NPR. It's a way for you in about 10 minutes or so to get up to speed on the news of any given day. The most important stories, the biggest ideas, the stuff you need to know as you go through your day. Up First. It starts April 5th. You can get it at NPR One or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Now, before we start, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening to The Big Listen. If you love the show or you just have tender feelings for it, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps incredibly attractive people just like you find the show. Thanks so much. Now, let's start the show.
1: Test, test, test.
0: Drew Ackerman doesn't exactly have a voice
1: for radio. So for breakfast, I had oatmeal and coughed in the cough drops like 15 minutes ago because I obsessively consume cough drops so that uh, uh, that, I, uh, that I don't get mouth noisy. But his creaky,
0: dulcet tones, as he calls them, ears, have put millions of listeners to sleep, which is exactly what he wants.
1: Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, Welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to try to do the rest, and what I'm going to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's been keeping you awake, whether it's thinking, feeling, sensing... You know, emotional or, or physical stuff, uh, you know, noises.
0: Whoa, what? Where am I? Why is there a microphone in front of my face? Oh, yeah. I'm hosting a show. I'm Lauren Ober and from WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. Now, Drew's podcast, Sleep With Me, has a cheeky name, yes, but it's also a really clever concept. It's like a digital lullaby slash bedtime story for adults, and it comes from a very personal place.
1: When I was a kid, I had a lot of trouble sleeping. And, like, it was mostly from overthinking and anxiety around school. And I would lie in bed, like, the very stereotypical thing, like, wondering, how am I going to fall asleep? Am I ever going to fall asleep? Now that I'm thinking about falling asleep, I'm never going to ever get to sleep.
0: Anyone who has ever flopped around for hours in a state of restless panic knows that it is just about the most miserable feeling ever. But for Drew, there was something that worked
1: listening to radio and I would listen to the Dr. Demento show in particular. <laughs> it was like a comedy radio show with the parody songs and it never put me to sleep but it helped me escape like that like that terrible feeling of being alone in in, in the night and wondering if I was ever get to sleep and then thinking about I'm going to be so tired at school tomorrow I'm going to get in trouble.
0: We'll check in with Drew later in the show about making a podcast that people essentially won't remember or even hear. But first... I want you to think about iconic moments from television. The explosion of the Challenger space shuttle, the O.J. Simpson car chase, and Ellen DeGeneres's coming out might spring to mind. This moment might also pop into your head. Cue the drum roll. All right, open your boxes. That time in 2004 when Oprah gave everyone in her studio audience a brand new car. You
2: get a car! You get a car! You get a car!
0: I mean, she gave away 275 cars on national TV. Mic drop, Oprah. Game changed forever. That groundbreaking moment was just part of the Oprah show's 25-year run of firsts. Lucky for us, our pals at WBEZ in Chicago are taking a deep dive into the show's history and its iconic host.
3: Now, we all know that Oprah is an unprecedented TV success. She's called the most influential woman in America, I know. But how did she do it? How did she figure out what to say, what to do, what not to do? What were the challenges, the backstories, the missteps, and the accidents of history that all came together to make Oprah?
0: In Making Oprah is a three part documentary podcast all about the Oprah Winfrey legacy. Yes, it's a public radio show about daytime television. Jen White and Colin McNulty, host and producer of Making Oprah, welcome to the big listen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you very much. Okay, really important question. Are you guys living your best lives right now? <laughs>
3: yes, absolutely living my best life.
4: Uh, I'm trying. <laughs> Uh, Jennifer got me a mug that said my name's Colin and I'm living my best life right now. So that's proudly on my desk.
3: He he needed it. He needed a little encouragement yeah. and I just thought the <laughs> mug was the right way to go. Right.
0: It's so I I feel like that idea of living your best life has just totally transcended the Oprah show. Like people who don't even know the show use it. When you were talking to Oprah, did you get the sense that like she really bought into that, like, living your best life thing? I, from my perspective, I would say absolutely. I mean, because
3: look at her life. <laughs> yeah, <she's... laughs> who, well, who would true. look at her life and say, you know what, Oprah, you're really underachieving. You're not <laughs> living your best life. She's done everything, you know, and and from a very unlikely beginning. And so, how could you not believe that when when this is the life you're living, when you have your own television network and You know, you've had an Oscar nomination and you've had the highest rated, you know, TV talk show in history.
0: How do you argue against it? One thing that totally blew my mind, I think it was in the first episode, where you were talking about how rapidly the show expanded and how much money it made and how quickly she became a billionaire. Because you just think like she's been around forever, but actually like the amount of time that it took her... To get to, you know to amass this fortune was really really compressed.
3: Yeah, and I think that uh, a big part of that had to do with the media landscape and and the fact that they really struck gold with her as a host. Mm-hmm. You know what she was doing on television was different. Mm-hmm. She she was she was fresh. She was new. She had a completely unique perspective and approach to the work she was doing. And it was so different and nobody was able to replicate it. So I think that there were, when you look at the show and the show's development and her success, there were just these several bolts of lightning striking all at the same Mm -hmm. time that gave us the Oprah Winfrey show as we remember it now. Hi there, my name is Oprah Winfrey. Oprah, spelled O-P-R-A-A. Dennis wasn't really that impressed by the audition tape, but Debbie's endorsement convinced him to fly Oprah in for an in-person audition. He brought her in on a Saturday, brought in a crew, put her on set, and staged a mock AM Chicago show. Well... How did
5: she do? Oh, my goodness. I'm sitting in my office watching this audition, and I'm thinking to myself, Oh, my goodness, Dennis, you can't be this lucky. This woman (laughs) is unbelievable.
3: Oprah was such a natural in front of the camera that it was all Dennis needed to see. He invited her upstairs to his office and offered her the job.
5: Finally she said to me, she said, Do you have any concerns? And I said, No, not that I can think of. And she says, Well, you know, I'm black. I said, Well, I think I have that figured out. So (laughs) I said, We're over that hurdle. She says, you know, I'm overweight. And I said, well, so am I, and so are many Americans. I said, here's the deal. If we get this thing worked out, I don't want you to change a thing. I don't want a new hairdo. I don't want a weight loss. But I said, now that I think about it, I do have a concern. And she sat back in her chair, and she said, what would that be? I said, well, I've seen people in this business push their success right up their nose. I want to make sure that you can handle success. And she said to me, she said, do you really think I could be that successful? I said, well, this will probably cost me some money when I deal with your agent, but I think you're going to shoot the lights out. I said, I don't know that you'll know how successful you're going to be.
0: Now, you guys interviewed so many former (laughs) employees And I got this sense that um, everyone really loved working for Oprah. No one had any problems for the most part. Like people were like, oh, it was like hard. Like sometimes like I had no life or whatever. But no one was really like, oh, my God, you have no idea how like horrendous Oprah was. Like she was the worst person to work for ever because she like, you know, like it seemed everyone had a pretty rosy view, even though they were being worked to the bone.
4: I mean, I think, you know, I spoke to a a number of journalists that had, you know, tried to cover the Oprah Winfrey show during the sort of height of it, you know, in the sort of early 90s. And they all said to me, it was impossible to cover the Oprah Winfrey show because nobody would talk to the press because they were all just so loyal to Oprah. But I mean, I think that for the most part it's true that everyone loved working there because it felt like you know they were at the helm of this giant thing that was transforming the world mm-hmm. and that feels good. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not the most negative story like we worked really hard. <laughs> you know, that's not like it's hard to spin that. Um but I mean, I think everyone, you know, loved working for this 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 giant show, but the sort of compromises and sort of like I don't know um,
3: personal sacrifices yeah, that right. people made to work, and I and I Everyone think talks like people about are that.
0: like, uh, oh, I yeah, I mean, I planned to have kids, but it just never happened, you know. It's right. kind of like, right. wah wah, like thanks, Oprah. <laughs> but but that's the really interesting thing. I mean, two things. First, I think
3: we were able to show what a grind it is yeah. to do yeah. a daily show. I mean, if if you've always got the next show to get out, but something about the way Oprah managed her staff, the way she imparted vision to her staff, she was able, at least from the people we spoke to, was able to get this total buy-in about Mm -hmm. what they were doing, about its importance, about the weight of the work. And I don't know what what that is, what that um, Mm -hmm. charisma is (laughs) from a leadership perspective, but whatever it is, she had it. And her team responded to it.
0: I mean, we just have to be lucky that Oprah has not used her powers for evil. (laughs) For evil.
6: (laughs) It was like Christmas Eve the night before. And I remember
3: Oprah saying that. I felt the same way. Nobody could sleep. Director of Audience Services Sally Lou Loveman. We could
6: barely wait for the sun to rise. We were hiding 276 cars in our parking lot.
3: I remember the night before I could not sleep. Our team stayed up all night. You haven't slept. Gina Spray was one of the producers on the car giveaway. And you're nervous because it's the season premiere and you want it to go huge and you don't want to be the one ruining the Spray. So you're sick to your stomach and you're about to throw up. The night before, what
0: was happening? We were putting bows on cars. (laughs) Like,
2: you know, we were...
0: (laughs) Obsessed with detail. Oprah was obsessed with detail.
3: Oprah was obsessed with the detail. And the night before they hatched their scheme of distributing automobiles, just when the producers thought they were all ready, Oprah made them redo a couple of things. First of all, I didn't leave the building until like 10.30, 11, because I remember walking through, seeing them doing the bows for the cars, and the bows were too small in my opinion. So, I said this bow is too small. They're like, "But well, we've already done however many bows." I go, "You got to redo the bows because the bow should cover the whole hood of the car. <laughs> it should not be like a little bow. You and you want the bow to wrap around the body of the car and you want the bow to cover the whole hood of the car so that it makes an impression cuz so much of a gift is about how it's packaged.
0: Also, can I tell you, Jen, I love how excited you were about talking to her because, like, most of the time, you know, we're supposed to be like cool. I love that you really authentically were excited and we heard you be excited. Just like hearing that, I don't know, it made me, it gave me like a warm fuzzy and to know that, like, oh, you're, you're like, super into this
3: so news yes that's my producer colin he'd spent a couple of months trying to book one particular interview for this project and finally he had some news
4: uh we have oprah
3: okay my (laughs) are you serious
4: yeah I just spoke to her assistant, uh-huh. and Oprah can do this coming Monday <laughs> in L.A., so we're
3: going to meet Oprah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Oh, so that's my happening. gosh. Yay. Oh, my gosh. Colin. <laughs> <Holland. laughs> okay. I'm, hold on. I've got to get my—I've got to center, Jennifer. <laughs> center yourself. I know that reaction was a bit much, but here's what you have to understand— I'm a 40-something-year-old black woman who spent her career working in the media. Oprah means a lot. And as you can imagine, she's not the easiest interview to get. So when you land an interview with Oprah and you recover from the shock, here's what you do. You get a pedicure because you're going to wear open-toed shoes. You buy a new dress, nothing too fancy, but it's new. You fly to Los Angeles. You drive to Warner Brothers Studios, where the season premiere of The Ellen DeGeneres Show is being filmed. You're led to your dressing room next to the one occupied by actor Channing Tatum and Olympic gymnast Simone Biles. Her story so closely, in some ways, mirrors my mother's story. My mother was also uh, raised in rural Mississippi, Yazoo Mm -hmm. City, Mm -hmm. and she moved to Detroit when when she was about eight or nine years old. She's a little older than Oprah, about a decade older than Oprah. Mm -hmm. And so some of the opportunities um, that Oprah was able to take advantage of weren't available for my mom. Mm -hmm. But when I was growing up, my mother sort of pointed to her. You know, she would say, you have the gift of Gab. You know, you, you can do that. You can mm-hmm. do that. You can do that. So there is a genuine admiration and excitement about talking to someone yeah. who's been held up as a model of success to you your entire yeah. life. You know, and and so that, yeah, it was, it was genuine. And we, you know, we went back and forth about, did we put that in? But yeah. <laughs>
4: When we were putting this together, we were like, it'd be amazing if we got Oprah, but it doesn't necessarily have to have Oprah mm. in it because we have all these interviews with all these other people that are really, really great that people that worked on the show. And Jen was like, look, if you get Oprah for this thing, um, you're going to be on my Christmas card list. We're going to for the rest of your life.
0: we're going to sit on a
4: front porch uh, when we're like in our 80s, and we're going to go. <laughs>
0: you have a built-in babysitter, Colin. Right now, you just <laughs> yeah, right oh, for, for life. <laughs> I that was one of the promises I made too. I was like, anytime, <laughs> that you so want to go anywhere, you bring that baby. It to all me. worked out. <laughs> so great. Oh my god. Um. Well, so I I I thought you know when I finished um, the three part series that. You know, I would look under my chair and there would be something there from Oprah. Like, you know, you get a podcast, you get a podcast, you get a podcast. I was really looking forward to something like I thought it would just like I'd look under the chair of my you know, seat in my car and there'd be something there. But there wasn't. feel a little disappointed about that, guys. But we will have extra content. So there will be like... (laughs) A podcast
3: <laughs> version of that, sort of. I mean, we i mean, we have so much audio, mm. Lauren. It's just crazy. I'm sure. Crazy. Like, people were so... I think it was such a cathartic experience. People, the people were crying. We they were
0: crying. Yes. Oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. They were what? like, we
3: want to talk about this. And yeah. so we ended up with all this extra content. So we will have some extras Little mini-sodes coming out uh, over the next few weeks, which is which will be fun to produce too. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: I look forward to listening to those. Uh, I thought that the um, the series was so great. Making Oprah from WBEZ, uh, Jen White and Colin McNulty, host and producer of that show. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. Well, thank, thank you, you. Lauren. Jen White and Colin McNulty are the host and producer of Making Oprah from WBEZ in Chicago. To learn more about the show, check out biglisten.org. Now, remember our bedtime story podcast pal Drew from the top of the show? The conceit of his project is that it helps you get to sleep. So Drew rambles on for an hour telling silly stories he makes up on the spot, and that's enough to knock most people out. Cold.
1: But just like humans, Christmas trees on Christmas tree farms practice, uh, and a lot of it's like subconscious or subtextual, or just, uh, you know, we got to adjust, you know, and sometimes we maladjust and sometimes we can do. But, you know, Chris, like, I guess, the, like, the way, just like human beings, I think a lot of our cognitive dissonance, we can learn from these trees. The trees know they're going to be cut down when they get to a certain size. And so they create. uh, Um,
0: sorry, what? Seriously, that is the first time I've heard any of the stories because I fall asleep in like the first five minutes every time I listen. So if that isn't proof that Drew's onto something with this podcast, I don't know what is.
1: So I have no sleep expertise, and I I joke on the podcast, like, I'm not a sleep guru. I'm actually someone that has a brain full of goo. Like, that's what qualifies me to make a sleep podcast. And, I I, I mean, I think I, I, like, have a tendency to ramble, and, like, I find, like, strange things interesting, and, and, and talking at length about them is, I guess I have a proclivity to that. But there's also the fact that... I hey,
0: are you still awake? Well, we're going to take a little coffee break now because we have got the rest of the show to get through. But when we come back, we'll hear from a flight attendant turned podcaster who has seen it all in the friendly skies. Ambient zombies, naked passengers, and people who actually bought things from SkyMall.
6: Oh, every once in a while when someone's taking their clothes off or something, I'm like, oh, woohoo! A <laughs> good story for the podcast. I am actually thinking that in the back of my head.
0: That's coming up on The Big Listen Don't Go Anywhere. This is NPR. Support for The Big Listen and the following message comes from The Black Tux. Dressing for a wedding or a fancy occasion is easy with BlackTux.com. With sexy suits and tuxedos delivered to your door, The Black Tux gives you a new way to rent. Forget those bridal stores at the mall. The Black Tux's free home try-on lets you see the fit and feel the quality in your own home months before an event. To get free shipping both ways, plus free home try-on, visit theblacktux.com slash listen. Support for this podcast and the following message come from HelloFresh, the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed. And they provide step-by-step recipes for delicious meals designed to take 30 minutes to make. Everything is delivered in a special insulated box with free shipping. And meals are now less than $10 each, which is a total bargain. Because really, like, how can you find a meal that's less than $10? Big Listen listeners can receive $30 off their first week of deliveries. Just visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code BIG30, BIG30, on your first purchase.
6: Lauren, this is Robin in Santa Rosa, California, and I'm calling to tell you about a podcast I'm really excited about called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. It's hosted by two graduates of the Harvard Divinity School, and they use biblical study techniques they've learned at Divinity School to uh, analyze Harry Potter as if it were a sacred text. And it's really, really good.
7: The themes and the questions that were in these books were so big they were just as big as the bible
3: questions that i'd just been reading you know the, the same questions of love and fear and death and even resurrection that were showing up in the bible class were showing up in the harry potter text and the difference was that the harry potter books felt like they were mine
6: it has a, a sort of spiritual kick but it's not religious per se and it's a great way to
0: experience the books Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I want to know what podcasts are getting you out of bed these days. Call us on our super secure pod line at 202-885-POD1 and let us know what you're listening to. Now, do you know anyone who likes flying? Nope, you don't. I know like one person who gets excited about being on a plane, and that's because he always flies in business class. The rest of us schlubs normally just tolerate it or actively hate it. But not the host of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. Nope, she loves it. Oh, she's weird and wonderful. Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen. Betty in the Sky is a gem of a podcast hosted by Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major
6: airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world.
0: Basically, Betty lets us in on what is actually happening on your airplane while you're busy doing whatever it is you do while you're flying. Betty, my favorite flight attendant. Welcome to The Big Listen. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Now, I am wondering, OK, you already have a job. You're a flight attendant yes. with, a, with a, a major airline. Um, why would you want to do a podcast on top of that?
6: You know, that's a really good question. I didn't really plan on doing a podcast. (laughs) I actually started podcasting 10 years ago, so I was really at the (laughs) beginning of podcasting, and there was a pilot... Joe Dion, and he had a podcast, and I went actually up to the cockpit (laughs) as soon as my work was done, and I knocked on the cockpit door, and I went up there and told stories, so I was on his podcast.
5: I'm Joe Dion, I'm a
4: pilot for a major U.S. carrier, and I take my recorder with me when I fly, so I can take you with
6: me. He actually encouraged me to start my own, which I never would have done otherwise, but I love telling stories, and I love old-fashioned storytelling, and I thought that the podcast medium was, like, so perfect for that. And uh, it's sort of just a creative outlet hobby thing.
0: Okay, can I tell you something that concerns me is that a pilot – is uh, <laughs> is interviewing people in the cockpit while also flying a plane. Like, is that a little, is that, is that something I should be concerned no, about? No, not
6: at all. This was like flying from Maui to L.A. And uh, uh,
0: Oh, yeah, no big deal, just over the ocean. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, but we're just, you know, it's just like talking, really. You know, just with a recorder on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I think that people are fascinated by flight. There is this mystery to it. And I I wonder if that's sort of the appeal of your show uh, is that you're shining a little light on that for us. Like we get a little inside scoop.
6: Yeah, you know, I'm always surprised that there's so much interest because I think the general perception is that it's not glamorous anymore. But really, honestly, people are still interested. And I'm sort of like pulling back the galley curtain, you know, (laughs) letting you guys in, you know. Okay, so this, I have heard rumors about this woman, but I never actually know anyone that actually (laughs) flew with her. her. So there was a a flight attendant who used to talk with a hand puppet. Is that right? Right, and she would greet... She would greet all of our clients, all of our passengers. Like, they with, on the plane? Well, they're getting on the plane. And plane. With a puppet. With the puppet, waving to them, you know, and telling. Well, what them kind we of puppet seeing? was it? What did it look like? Well, it was a puppet that was dressed like a flight attendant. <laughs> yeah. Like, you where know, did she get it? Actually, the the passengers found it quite entertaining. They they, did. they enjoyed. You know, they would actually speak to the puppet rather than the flight attendant. Right. And then when our service began, she would be on the beverage cart, and she would ask. Each passenger with the puppet on her hand, what they would go to drink. But now, how could she then serve with this? She had to take the puppet off. But didn't this take her more time to keep putting the puppet on and off? Well, I think that presented the problem. Yeah. There it is. Because
0: at first... I do think that there is a little bit of loss of glamour. I mean, not that I I want to have to board a plane with like a full face of makeup and a ball right. gown or something, right. you know. Um, but I mean, can we just talk about sweatpants for sure. a second? Why? Why is everyone wearing sweatpants and pajama pants on the airplane? And
6: shorts and flip flops and they've got their bare feet on the wall.
0: <laughs> yeah. Why, why are people gross? <laughs> I,
6: I wish I could tell you. I have no idea. I actually still, because I still actually dress not, I don't dress up Formally, but I do dress nicely when I'm traveling as a passenger Mm -hmm. because I still have respect for the whole institution.
0: Right, right. And I guess part of it is that it's really become so challenging to to not be totally disheartened by the experience of waiting in line and being wanded and you know having your body scanned and then having to I mean the thing that I, kills me is always having to take off your shoes because I feel like it's it's sort of intimate to be in your socks and also you don't know what's
6: on the floor with all those right. other
0: feet. <laughs> Well, that's true. (laughs) Great. Another thing for me to worry about. Uh, (laughs) But I think what I, I really love about your show is that you are able to find the joy in your job and in the weird things that people do. And I wonder how you you stay sort of upbeat about something that could be. You know, frustrating, like one episode you talk about how, you know, people just think that flight attendants are garbage receptacles. Oh, yeah, just trash collectors. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Have class. This is a weird thing. It seems like passengers, when they look at us, they see a trash receptacle. <laughs> it's weird. They're constantly trying to hand you trash, which is fine. And we say, th- I say thank you for trash. I do over and over. 300 times. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But when I don't say thank you is I was I was going uh, to crew rest and I had a a purse like a large purse with handles on it because I like to take my book in case I can't sleep. I like to have a uh, bottle of water. Um, You know, I like to have a few things down there are up there, wherever the crew rest is. So I'm heading to crew rest with my purse and I'm walking by a passenger and he has a glass, you know, a, a trash he's finished with his plastic glass. And he tries to throw it in my purse, in my purse. <laughs> now I'm not saying thank you to that. I'm like, hey, 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 that's my purse. And he's like, huh? <laughs> Just because when they look at us, they see a trash can.
0: I'm so far away.
6: I've been flying a long time, and I still actually really love my job. I mainly just fly internationally, so you don't get as many nut jobs as you do... Because they can't afford it. <laughs> it's the truth. You have to have a passport, you know. <laughs> but um, I sort of miss some of the nut jobs because they make for better stories.
0: <laughs> I, so so are you just sort of secretly hoping that there's some type of kerfuffle on oh, the Oh, every once
6: in a while when someone's taking their clothes off or something, I'm like, oh, woohoo. A <laughs> good story for the podcast. I am actually thinking that in the back of my head as I'm like cleaning up poop or something. <laughs> I'm
0: serious. (laughs) (laughs) So, walk me through how your anecdotes work because you are sort of pumping the your other crew members for stories while you're in flight or how does it work
6: So I sort of have to try to warm people up and I start telling stories and I have a whole backlog of stories in my head of my favorite stories so I'll start telling them and that hopefully that jogs their memory of oh yeah you know I had a guy peeing all over everyone oh too Oh my
0: god no <laughs> no that no that can't even be real It is real
6: on my 767D airplane uh, a man sitting in Duane, approximately 80 years old, got up to go to the bathroom. Instead of opening the bathroom door, he pulled the curtain into Economy curtain and whipped out his ding and started peeing all over. Over the people too? No. Just on the floor? Just on the floor. And he took an Ambien, he yeah. didn't know where he was
0: what he was doing. And then the people on the first row started saying, sir, stop, sir, stop. You're not in the bathroom. Stop it, sir. Stop.
6: I call them ambient zombies. The ambient zombies. Uh, they don't remember anything later. <laughs> but the thing is, some people have never taken a certain medication before. So then they self-medicate yeah. and then they drink too much. And it's a cocktail <laughs> made oh, for disaster, but also good stories.
0: Okay, Betty, I have some questions for you that aren't entirely about your podcast. But as a person who flies, I'm kind of curious. Okay, what is the worst airport to fly into? Oh, I would say
6: Egypt just because they try to sell you the air. They're always trying to scam you. (laughs) They do, and they only have three pickup lines. I got to tell you these. It's so funny. Uh, You walk like an Egyptian. No, that's (laughs) awful. You have Egypt eyes. (laughs) You have Egypt eyes. (laughs)
0: And I'm your Omar Sharif. (laughs) What? They need to they need to update. That is pathetic. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Noted, if I fly into Egypt, I will not be swayed by those very <laughs> persuasive pickup lines. Okay. Second question. Has anyone ever in the history of the universe bought anything on SkyMall? Yes, they have. I think like cat products are very popular. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the people that, <laughs>
6: that use the skymall. Well, actually, I think they finally have taken the Sky Mall off, and uh, they did.
0: people will ask for it. And I'm like, really? Okay. What is the weirdest thing that has happened in an airplane lavatory?
6: There's a lot of countries where they're not familiar with our style of toilet, they're used to squatting. <laughs> oh, so they will actually get up on the toilet. And squat, and, you know, we have turbulence. (laughs) Oh, no. No, no, no. (laughs) And they've fallen out. And they also sometimes, you will walk in the bathroom, and there will be footprints (laughs) on the toilet seat. And then what happens is those same people, they don't lock the door. So then another passenger goes and opens the door and sees this person squatting up on top of the toilet. And then they're always like screaming, and they're (laughs) going to believe what I just saw. And I'm like, yeah, someone's squatting up there. Why don't these things happen on my flights? (laughs) You know what? Actually, they do happen on your flights. (laughs) That's the curious thing. It's just that you guys have your headphones on. And, you know, you're in your own little seat area. And it can, unless it's like right in front of you, you
0: never know. Betty is the flight attendant behind the podcast Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. No last name necessary. Betty's been cranking out these shows for 10 years, so give her a listen, will ya? You can find out more info over at biglisten.org. Shout out to BBC producer Rich Preston for turning me into a bonafide Betty fan. Well, it's about time for another break, but when we come back, we'll hear from a salacious sex columnist about his very conventional podcast tastes.
2: I'm a very boring person, and uh, I'm reactionary in (laughs) ways that might shock people if they've been reading my column.
0: That's coming up so fast here on The Big Listen. Don't touch that dial. This is NPR. Hi, it's Rachel Martin with NPR News. And you know what? We're doing something new and we want you to be part of it. It's called Up First. It's the morning news podcast from NPR. It's a way for you in about 10 minutes or so to get up to speed on the news of any given day. The most important stories, the biggest ideas, the stuff you need to know as you go through your day. Up First, it starts April 5th. You can get it at NPR One or anywhere you listen to your podcasts.
6: Hi, my name is Flannery Watson, and I'm from Washington, D.C. Um, and the podcast that I'm recommending is Love & Radio, um, particularly the Living Room episode. Um, this episode is very emotional, and it kind of came to me at a difficult time in my life, and I ended
0: up listening to it and definitely crying a lot.
6: I remember the girlfriend lying beside
0: him for a long time on her own, and she was just stroking his face so tenderly. It was so much affection that really transcends the kind of young love that you expect. All I could see was the top of his head all that time.
6: You'll learn about someone looking in on someone else's life and learning more than
0: they expected. Uh, it's just a really great podcast and I recommend it, but bring tissues. shoes. Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I want to know about your favorite podcast, pure and simple. Call us on the pod line and let us know about it. The number is 202-885-POD1. I can't wait to hear from you. Would you get a load of this? It's time for Listen Up, the part of this show where we grill your favorite pod people, reporters, producers, hosts, about what they're putting their ears on these days, Today, I am delighted to have Dan Savage on the show. If you don't know him, what's wrong with you? Get on that. He's the host of the Savage Lovecast, a podcast devoted to counseling the lovelorn and dispensing sex advice.
3: If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony,
0: I want to remind you that, you know, we we have to follow FCC guidelines on this show. So we got to try to keep it clean. I know your show is, you know, rough and rowdy. So
2: yeah, it's crazy. On my show, people are allowed to use the terminology, the language, the expressions and the slang they actually use when they talk about sex with their friends, (laughs) as opposed to the Sanskrit we have to use when we talk about sex on the air or on television.
0: Yeah. Um, So the Savage Lovecast, I think, is edging towards its 500th episode. Is that true?
2: Yeah, that is true. We've been at this for a (laughs) long time.
0: Do you feel like the podcasting space has changed since you entered it?
2: Yeah, there's a lot more people doing it. And I was in every way a podcast late adopter. I was doing my own podcast, but not listening to any podcasts. (laughs) It was only (laughs) literally about a year ago, that I got the podcast app on my phone and started downloading and listening to podcasts. So I was an early adopter of the form, but a very late adopter as a consumer of the form.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was wondering if you had time to listen to anything because you are a busy guy. I mean, I feel like you have 50 jobs.
2: I (laughs) do. I do. (gasps) Uh, I walk to work because um, I live in a big city and I don't know how to drive and we don't have a subway. So I walk to work, I listen to the podcasts. I go to the gym, I listen to podcasts. I go on bike rides and listen to, listen to podcasts. And when I'm traveling or flying, uh, I listen to podcasts. Used to be, I would listen to tons of music. Um, but I recently flew to New Zealand and back and listened to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History mm-hmm. the whole way mm-hmm. there and back, his previous one about the Greeks. Mm-hmm. And I was traveling in Austria earlier uh, this year and listened to Dan Carlin's hardcore history about the First World War as we were visiting places uh, that were featured in it. And it was, it was fascinating, and I loved mm-hmm. it. And that's a real hardcore uh, commitment of a binge if you're going to listen to
0: oh, that Oh, yeah, one. I mean, because those, those episodes are like three, four hours long.
2: Yeah, and they're amazing. It was just very serendipitous. I was literally on a train. In Austria, looking at podcasts that I might want to listen to, and up popped that one, which I was unfamiliar with, and I started listening to the top of the, his uh, series on the First World War as we were riding a train, on a train, going through areas of Austria that had been laid waste right.
4: during the First World War. This war is three weeks old, and all the major participants have clashed head on. There's more than a million people dead. This is the worst nightmare of every pre-war prophet predicting, you know, what was going to happen when you combined the mass armies that the Napoleonic era unleashed, on steroids, by the way, with the modern technology and weapons and systems that were being developed all through the 1800s. When you lose more than a million people in the first blink of an eye and the war is now obviously going to last a while... How many people
0: are going to die before this thing reaches a resolution? What is a resolution? So what are you listening to right now that that really has you excited?
2: Uh, I love stuff you missed in history class.
0: On May 30th of 1948, a flood destroyed Vanport, Oregon. Fifteen people were killed, which
3: in light of some of the other disasters we've been talking about on the show lately, probably seems like a relatively small number. But the property damage involved was colossal. And what really makes the story more than a historical footnote is how it is tied into the racial makeup of both Portland and Oregon as a whole uh, and a lot of the, the stresses and difficulties that went on with racism and race relations both before and after the flood.
2: Um, Drunk Ex-Pastors, which is a podcast out of Washington State with a couple of former evangelical <laughs> Christian Pastors who have walked away from their faith traditions and get drunk and talk about everything from uh, music and food and movies to Justin Bieber and they're <laughs> hilarious uh, guys. I was a guest on their show. That's how I found out about their show. I was a guest on their
7: show. All right, so we're we're going. We're recording. Are we? Are we actually recording? This will yeah. be a bad night to forget. Yeah. To so hit. this is the first episode that we've ever done remotely away from uh, either my basement or my bedroom. Yes. And um, surprisingly. Dan Savage wasn't willing to come to my bedroom for to do the podcast. <laughs> yeah, come on. What's up with that?
2: You <laughs> know, I, I'm a princess. People, <laughs> have <to laughs> come,
7: people have to come to me.
0: What about that podcast um, do you like? I mean, apart from the fact that they invited you on as a guest. Uh, they're,
2: they're just really funny. You know, that's something – there's an intimacy to podcasts, and you sort of uh, become – you get to know people. It's just a little more expansive. There isn't a ticking clock. Uh, when you're doing a podcast. Uh, you, you don't want to waste people's time, but you can really let people in, in a way that I think you can't when the clock is ticking and you have a half an hour, an hour, and then you have to shut the <laughs> up. Oh, pardon me. And then you have to shut up. <laughs> 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 I lost, uh, forgot where I was for a second because I'm in my own <laughs> podcast studio where I can hey, say listen, anything.
0: That's what the, uh, the bleep sound effect is for.
2: So they're just funny, witty guys. And and you know evangelical christian pastors are the uh, natural enemy of uh, out gay atheists so to have a show that's hosted by two ex evangelical christian pastors and get to hear about how they landed where they are now is very very satisfying as an out gay atheist
7: <laughs> i mean my first exposure to gays was when i was 18 and go- i was the day i was going to Calvary Chapel Bible College and our our church Calvary Chapel. I went to the main Calvary Chapel down in Orange County. We had been sending uh, witnesses from our youth group to West Hollywood, to WeHo as they call it, and every every Friday witnessing to them. Oh my God, I gotta hate those people. So that day, they decided to come up to our church, and so on a Sunday morning. On a Sunday the morning, news, I walked news out of youth there. group. I'm eighteen. And there are, are gays, the first gays I think I've ever seen, besides my friend who I was standing next to who I didn't know was gay at the awesome. time. Awesome. Surrounding the church, wearing tutus and making out with each other. Yeah, I dressing as like, Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. I'm feeling like my eyes were being burned. Like, oh, my God, I can't unsee this. What is happening? Um, that was my first exposure. I love those guys who did that to each <laughs> other. I want to kiss each
2: and every one of them. <laughs>
0: Um, what else should we, be, uh, should we be listening to? What else don't we know about that, that you're into? Oh, my
2: God. I don't know. Um, I mean, a lot of the shows I like aren't tiny little shows where I'm one of the four listeners. I really love Risk, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Allison's podcast.
7: This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share.
2: I really, really like The Moth, of course. The Moth is true stories told live. Uh, TED radio hour each week groundbreaking TED talks I guess I kind of have you know with the exception of risk and uh, drunk ex-pastors kind of mainstream tastes Mm -hmm. I have Rachel Maddow on my podcast and, and Bill Maher
0: what do you see as the future of your own show
2: you know, I I think we're going to keep doing what we're doing, taking calls, having interesting guests.
0: Mm-hmm. How have you seen the questions change, or have you seen the questions change in the years that you've been uh, on the air with the podcast?
2: They really haven't changed that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the questions have changed radically in the print edition and in, in Savage Love, my newspaper column, because mm-hmm. that's twenty five years old and. Mm-hmm. When I started writing Savage Love, there was no wiki, and there was no Google, and there was no internet. <laughs> so I don't, I don't get those definition questions anymore. Like, here's this sex act. How do I do it? Right, right. Because, again, there's a wiki for each one of those. Uh, the questions I get are all situational ethics. This happened. That happened. They said this. I did that. Then this happened. Who's right? Who's wrong? Mm-hmm. Tell me what to do. And those questions mm-hmm. are so much harder to answer.
0: Savage is the longtime host of the Savage Lovecast, the show is deep into its 22nd season I cannot even imagine. So he must be doing something right. You can get more details about his show on our website, biglisten.org. Well... We have almost reached the end of this week's episode, but before we let you go, it's time for... C-H-A-R-T-O-G-R-A-T-H-Y. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. But we're not looking at number one, or even number 100. We're looking at number 289, which is like being in the 99th percentile. That's pretty great, actually. Let me open up my little hipster notebook. Okay, so this week's 289 is a show... Called Doug Loves Movies. My name is Doug and I love movies. According to his Wikipedia page, he is an American comedian, comma, marijuana advocate, comma, actor. Okay, so this guy's a triple threat. Watch out. Um, So he's also really into movies. And the podcast is basically um, his live show, Doug Loves Movies, where he invites different comedians. Gentlemen, start walking. It's a long trip up to the stage. He has some, you know, a lot of comedians you've never heard of. Um, like Dale Cheeseman everybody great name um, and then other folks that maybe you've heard of Rob Cordry, Sarah Silverman Paul F. Tompkins they all come on the show and they talk about movies the one that I listened to um, had it was actually pretty amazing they had a they had quote unquote Mark Wahlberg uh, what's up San Antonio It's was not actually the real Mark Wahlberg but it was a really great Mark Wahlberg impersonator Um, And he talked about some of the movies that he had watched recently. One of them being Girl on
6: a Train. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God.
0: Which they called Last Train to Snoozeville. (laughs)
6: Literally. I
7: think I woke up twice and I didn't even know I fell asleep once.
0: (laughs) Apparently. Apparently that was not a good movie. Um, It's pretty funny, I guess. Um, If you're into like just comedians blabbing on about movies and trying to one up each other with their, like, movie-related jokes and um, trivia. So yeah, Doug Loves Movies, hosted by American comedian and marijuana advocate Doug Benson. I'm going to tell you something that you might not believe, and that is that the big listen can get delivered to your device without you having to do anything. Well, actually, you have to do, like, one little thing. You have to subscribe with your finger. You have to hit the button with your finger. Anyway, details, go to NPR One or iTunes or any fine purveyor of podcasts and subscribe. It's pretty easy. As always, we love us some listener feedback. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. We're at Here Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R, Big Listen. So follow us. Our electronic mail address is biglisten at wamu.org. And we are currently accepting holiday cards of all persuasions. So send us some mail. Looking for show notes with all the links to this week's featured shows? Well, hit up biglisten.org. It's all there. Or subscribe to our official newsletter. There's a link on our website. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston. I, Lauren Ober, was roasting chestnuts on an open fire. Special thanks to our number one elf, Beck Feldhaus Adams, and my best guy, Hans Anderson, for helping out. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man, J.J. Yore, and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a few final thoughts from Drew Ackerman about his bedtime story podcast, Sleep With Me. If you can actually stay awake and listen, he talks about all kinds of crazy stuff, like nuns in outer space and Christmas trees on the run. It makes me nervous what you're actually saying in the body of the podcast. <laughs> Are you controlling my mind?
1: I, I think the, the the fact that I have a goo brain versus a guru uh, mindset. Yeah, I don't, like, I, I think, like, there's a natural fear. Like, I love it when people approach the podcast with skepticism, because that's exactly how I would approach it. Like, wait, wait a second, this guy's making this podcast... To put people to sleep. What's he up to? What does he want? Like, uh, what's the angle, or what? What sort of uh, strange, like, evil magic is he trying to work?
0: Right. It's like Victorian candidate. Like, I'm get, I'm getting subliminal messages, and at some point, like a month or a year down the line, like all of a sudden, I'm going to get controlled into you know doing something against my will. I don't know. It's possible.
1: Yeah, I think it's like a natural fear. Like with anything, like uh, especially if you're going to be listening to, to fall asleep, that's like, what is what's going to happen after I fall asleep? In, I don't know. I think like uh, that's something I appreciate. So about people I'm going to just let him
0: ramble on because we got to go. Like Till like next time, keep it's listening, America. This is NPR. So I'm like
1: always blown away, like a, like, a, like a man, like that people are entrusting me to help.
0: hey, wake up. Come on. The podcast is over. You got to go. But now that I have you in this very suggestible state of semi wakenessness (laughs) semi-awakeness, how about you hop on over to iTunes and give us a glowing five-star review so that other people just like yourselves can find the show once they wake up too. Thanks.